You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, founder and principal attorney at Sapphire Legal, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we're talking with Susan Lund, a partner of McKinsey & Company and a leader of the McKinsey Global Institute. Susan's research focuses on the intersection of technology, globalization, and labor markets. Her latest research has been analyzing the long-term impact of COVID-19 on the future of work. On today's episode, we'll be discussing Susan's findings and some foreseeable trends as businesses start to imagine a post-COVID workplace. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Susan Lund. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm very excited to talk about this topic. Um, I'm all about the workforce of the future, and I'm anxious to hear what your research has turned up on the impacts of this pandemic that we've been going on coming up on our year anniversary. But before we get started, can you tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you do? So I'm a partner at McKinsey. I'm one of the leaders of the McKinsey Global Institute, which is the consulting firm's economics think tank. So our mandate is to look at long-term trends shaping the global economy and what implications that has for business. And for the last 10 years, I've been looking at different trends in labor markets in terms of job creation, the gig economy, and freelance work. And for the last five years, a lot of focus on how technology is changing jobs. Over the last year, of course, the big question now is what happens after COVID? And do we just go back to the way things were, or are there going to be some long-term changes in how we work? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And the report that you have, uh, that was put out, is titled The Future of Work After COVID-19. And we'll make that report available. Uh, We'll put a link to it on our website when we get your podcast up and running. But for now, I really want to talk about, I know that people are, um, we don't get political on this show, but I do think that with the vaccinations uh, process going on and more and more, as more and more people get vaccinated, I do think that employers are starting to look ahead at the horizon to start thinking about, okay, when we're, it looks like we're going to get to, at some point we're going to, there's hope, we're going to get back to the new the new workplace, right? And what is that going to look like? And how are we going to pivot all this? And people not being uh, very adamant about keeping some of these trends that have come up, you know, the uh, the Zoom calls, the, you know, the work, the remote work and all that stuff that's actually worked for some people and how to integrate that. So I am super excited to hear about your research on that. So what is coming back to work look like? And sort of how is that being reimagined? Well, right now, companies are in the midst of this grand experiment, thinking about 
how do we go back? I was just earlier this morning on with a group of executives in the financial services industry, and I think it's quite common across companies that you'll have some part of the workforce that really wants to go back full-time. For whatever reason, work from home is not working for them. But typically, that's a quarter of employees or less. Um, then you might have some segment of the workforce that can continue to work from home. So depending on the role, if there's not a lot of need for interactions, so think about call center workers, right, might continue to work remotely from home, um, and that saves on real estate costs. But for the vast majority, I think, of your listeners today, what people want is some kind of hybrid, and companies are thinking through how can we retain some of the flexibility and allowing people to work from home one day a week or two days a week uh, and have more flexibility, but then still make sure that we maintain the company culture and people are together and can, you know, interact when they need to. Absolutely. And so what, what sort of things did you discover in that regard? Well, so we looked at all the different activities that go into different jobs. So you can't really think about can your whole job be done remotely or in person? Um, and we looked at over 2,000 activities. Sometimes you're on a computer processing information or learning. Sometimes you're doing administrative tasks, again, online. Sometimes you're talking to customers. So when we, we really disaggregated for each of those specific activities, can it be done effectively and as productively from home or not? And when we add up all the work that we think can be done equally well from anywhere, um, we find out that about 20 to 25 percent of the workforce overall um, could work from home three to five days a week. Um, now, they are still going to need to go to the office. Um, when we think about your listeners and people in office settings, it's more like 70 to 80 percent of people could theoretically work from home at least one or a few days per week. Um, but what companies are thinking about now is, how do we be thoughtful and intentional about this? Rather than drifting back to work and whoever wants to go in goes in and I want to stay home Mondays and you want to stay home Friday and <laughs> it's sort of a free-for-all, they're thinking about how can we decide you know, when different teams should be together, how often, and then what are they doing when they're in the office? Because if you're coming into the office, just sitting at a desk alone on your computer, you don't really need to be in the office. And don't you think that's a mindset as well? Because I, I know I, that's happening now. So I know that, you know, I have colleagues and I've talked to a lot of people and they say the same thing. They're like, there's nobody here. Why do I have to be here? All I, I, I'm required to stay in my office and not interact with anybody unless, you know, I can't go to meetings, everything's on Zoom. Why can't I do this from home where I can manage my time and do all these other things? It's really interesting to me. Well, you can, but um, what it, it puts more of a burden on managers because a lot of managers used to manage uh, by the method that we call informally butts in seats. You just look at who's at their desk working and then you walk around the floor, you look at the people you're managing. Are they there? Do they look busy? Then you make an assumption that that's good. Well, if everybody's working remotely, then you need to move to measuring outcomes. 
right? What do we expect people to produce? And it doesn't matter if somebody wants to get up at 5 a.m. and work from 5 to 9 and then go to the gym and have lunch with a friend and then pick up again in the afternoon. Like, that doesn't matter. But it, it really is more of a burden on managers to understand what people are doing uh, and define output rather than visually, are you at your desk? That's really interesting that you say that. Um, I never really clicked to that. I have seen that, though, where managers are struggling because they can't do those things. And they're trying to say, okay, then what I want to do is fit that old model right onto the computer, meaning I want to sit at my desk from nine to five, and I want to be able to monitor everybody. So that means everybody has to be working nine to five. But from a productivity aspect, I'd like to focus a little bit on that, what you mentioned about this idea that productivity needs to, it's, the shift needs to be to, like you said, outcomes so that people have a broader mindset of, okay, how does this all work? If, but managers would freak out, right? Because if I'm not, if my job is managing these people and they're not there to manage, what do I do with myself? How do I, man, how do, I do that? That's right. It is a mindset shift. And I think that COVID has actually forced a lot of managers to be more flexible because now when everybody's remote, you know, you have, you've had illness, you have people trying to be the, uh, the, you know, the home school teacher as well as the employee. And I think most companies have been incredibly flexible. So I've heard of all manner of different things. Like we, end the work week at 1 p.m. Friday. Other companies are going to no meeting Fridays. Um, another company uh, said you get 40 COVID hours during the year. So that's just, you know, time when you're feeling overwhelmed and burned out in addition to the regular holidays and paid time off. So I think companies have already started to institute more flexibility. But it depends a lot on the manager, as you're saying, about whether you can shift to the job doesn't have to be done from nine to five. If we're working remotely, it can be done at whatever time is convenient for you as long as the work gets done. But then on the flip side, I think we are social animals. It's been really hard for new employees to join an organization and work only on Zoom. Um, there was just new research out from Stanford University saying that the Zoom fatigue is real. Like we're not used to looking at videos of ourselves all the time. And our eyes are darting across the screen when you're in a meeting with say, you know, nine people or 12 people and you're trying to monitor everyone at once. And so that's real also. I think that a lot of what happened in 2020 was we worked on adrenaline, but now most companies are seeing an uptick in just the mental fatigue, mental health issues. So I think it is important to realize that for most people, they're going to want and need to go back and see their friends at work, feel connected to their job. I mean, we are social animals also. Yeah, I've noticed that too. So I actually am one of those people that transitioned. So I've transitioned from a private law practice into an in-house counsel position during the pandemic. And that was it's been quite an experience to interview virtually, uh, to start a job virtually. And to, you know, the second time I went into the, I go so frequently to the actual office, I had to stop for a minute and think, 
where is my office? I've only been there once or twice. <laughs> I had to remember, okay, what floor am I on? Where I think I'm back this way and where's everything else? And then there's nobody there to, there's very few people uh, in, the, in the building itself. And I've run into the, a couple of people, but I'm social. I find myself just wandering around on a break, introducing myself to whoever's there because, you know, there's just, oh, oh look, people, there's people here. That's right. I mean, work is more than just a paycheck for most people, right? And one of the best predictors of employee productivity and engagement is whether you answer positively to the question, do you have a best friend at work? So there's friendship. And I think now the trick is we can move back to some work from home, some work in the office to make sure that you get to see your best friend when you're in your office. And it's coordinated so that when I do go to the office, I'm gonna be spending a lot more time with my team, I'm gonna be in brainstorming meetings or decision-making meetings. I'm gonna be meeting new employees like yourself, Teresa, uh, and taking time to reach out as opposed to doing a lot of my own computer work alone with the door shut. Absolutely. Well, uh, let's do this. We're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, more on Susan's thoughts of uh, post-COVID workforce. Stick with us, we'll be right back. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. Or if that resume was from someone who worked 12 hour shifts at the recycling company with my dad, who's 72. That taught me a work ethic that I carry with me every day. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone. Growing up where I did, a lot of things could have gotten in the way of my goals, but I learned to push through, and that's what I bring to work every day. So maybe it's time we look beyond the resume and look to grads of life. Discover new ways to develop great talent that are so much more than what's on paper at gradsoflife.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. If you enjoyed today's show, do this. Share us. Like us. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot to us, and it ensures more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking with Susan Lund from McKinsey & Company about the long-term impact of COVID-19 on the future of work. So Susan, let's shift gears a little bit. In the long term, what does this sort of reimagining mean and what, what are some foreseeable trends? So in addition to just this whole question of where people work, there has been a big uptick in the use of technology over the last year. So whether it's things like shopping online or having your groceries delivered or doing banking through an app, we're using digital payments. These were things that were happening slowly. Uh, and 2020 just saw a huge uptick in usage. So anywhere from, you know, three to five times faster growth in usage. And what we found uh, by doing consumer pulse surveys in countries around the world is that anywhere between 50 to 75% of people will say that they're gonna to continue to use some of these new digital channels after the pandemic. 
Now, it's not to say we're not, we're never going to go shopping or never going to go to a restaurant. I think it's really both and, but this is going to have a pretty significant impact um, on where the jobs of the future are going to be. And a lot of the jobs in bricks and mortar retail, restaurants, hotels may not come back. Um, and that's going to create challenges uh, for companies as well as for society. And how do you create different career paths for these people to get on? So on the, the, uh, the businesses that you think that might not might not come back and recover. So what what leads you? What what did you find that led you to to come to those sorts of conclusions? Well, we find a lot of the customer facing low wage work, whether it's in restaurants and fast food or in bricks and mortar retail stores, are just going to be down permanently. Part of it is because of a reduction in business travel. So if um, our colleagues in the travel and logistics practice think that there will be 20% less business travel permanently because of digital virtual meetings. And that means I'm not going out to a cafe for breakfast, eating lunch, eating dinner, uh, working from home. When I go to the office, I would go out to all those places that exist really only to sell lunch, uh, buy a salad, and now I'm at home. So there's a big shift in demand. Um, and what it means is that a lot of these large-scale employers, uh, for instance, an Amazon or a Target or a Walmart, have been really thinking proactively about how can I take um, the customer-facing sales associates and, say, create training programs to move them into management or supply chain or IT and digital? Um, and how can I redeploy the people I have to where it's needed? Or in the case of retail, to e-commerce and distribution. That's interesting. I know when um, we've talked on the show about the, you know what the workforce of the future is and the impacts of, of artificial intelligence and all that. And it sounds to me like you're saying a little bit about the same thing. And in that, when we talked about those those issues, there was a panic about, oh my gosh, I'm going to be replaced. I'm not going to have a job. But what I hear you're saying is that there's likely going to be new jobs created. There's going to be new focuses. Um, and that sounds very helpful to me. And I love that. That's right. Um, I always say, I regret to say that robots will not be doing all our work for us. Uh, <laughs> I'm soon, not, not at least in our lifetimes. Um, there is work, but it's going to be different work. And in general, it requires more specialized skills. So, mm-hmm. Companies are really actively looking at this, and particularly now, so we've gone through COVID, a lot of companies shifted the workforce. Think about banks, and bank branches shut down. Suddenly, you needed people in call centers, so a teller was became a call center agent overnight, right? Um, so there, was, there has been a lot of flexibility in most companies about quickly shifting people to where they were needed. And now, as we go back, I think a lot of executives are thinking about instead of going back to the way things were, how do we reimagine where our business is going? Where, what are going to be the sources of growth and where do we need talent? Um, and can we systematically shift our workforce to doing where the work of the future is going to be? I like that. I love that idea that, you know, changes, it changes scary. It doesn't matter. Everybody, you know, change is scary. But I think that at least one thing I felt, you know, looking at the report is it does have a hopeful aspect to it. 
Um, yeah, for individuals, I think it means adaptability and lifelong learning is something we talk about, but is really going to become a reality. Um, I'm sure in your job, Teresa, in the law, AI is transforming a lot of what first-year law associates used to do. The same is true in accounting and finance for actuaries. I'm an economist. My training in my profession has changed incredibly. So people are going to need to embrace that, I think, is one thing. And the second thing, I'm often asked, well, what skills should I build to be employable in the future? And I think the answer is there are two different sets of skills that are important. First are digital skills. So if you know, people have a bent for technology and math and science, for goodness sake, pursue it, right? Lots and lots of jobs in the future. But equally important are going to be people with good socio-emotional skills, because what machines don't do are do a good sales call and sign up a new customer, or they're not good at coaching and mentoring more junior employees or teaching. Um, managing others, working in teams. So these are skills, these soft, they're sometimes called soft skills, and they're increasingly important, and yet uh, educators and schools don't really know how to teach them, and neither do companies. I often am asked by executives, well, how, how do we help employees develop these soft skills? I, it's amazing. I love it. I love it. We are out of time, and I hate this because I am. I love talking about this topic, but I want to thank you so much, Susan, for joining us and sharing all this great information with our listeners. We'll make sure to have your report up again on our website so people can look it, but thank you so much for being on the show with us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. That's our show for today. I want to uh, tell you if you'd like to learn more about Susan, you can find her on the web at mckinsey.com under the Our People tab. That's M-C-K-I-N-S-E-Y.com. You can also connect with Susan via our website at sapphirelegal.com slash podcast. I want to also thank our listeners, my radio angels, James and the Name at Night, and our workplace team extraordinaire, our engineer and producer, Paul Roberts, our associate producer, Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Bersaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective. And until next time, keep raising the bar.